and welcome to another episode of Gaming Broadcast. This is your host, Jamie Dale, the main broad over at GamingBroadly.com, and today we are continuing our series on Appalachia and video games, an investigation into the relationship between the Appalachian region and our favorite media product, video games. Today we're joined by Kentucky Route Zero. Their game is set in the Appalachian region, so it's on point. Um, so do you all want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Jake, um, and yeah, I work on the game with Tomas and Ben. I mostly I do the writing on the game, and then I do some of the programming, and and then um, we're all kind of sharing design work. Uh, I'm Tomas, and I do mostly the art and some programming. And I'm Ben. I do uh, music and sound design. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming out. I'm super excited. I've actually been telling everyone about this conversation for a week and trying to <laughs> get their ideas on what about the combination of Appalachia and video games and your game specifically is so entrancing because it comes up almost in every conversation I've had about the region and video games. So you're apparently at the top of everyone's mind when it comes to this very niche topic. Um, so I'm going to start actually with just asking the broad question of what are all of y'all's story when it comes to the actual region of Appalachia? Um, yeah, well, so we, uh, I guess we, we have a kind of like, um, some personal connections to the region and then, and then the, the game itself came, came out of a, a sort of art historical connection to the, the region. But, um, so first Tomas and I were, were, uh, we worked several years ago, on a project with our friend John Cates that was about um, it was kind of like a art game remix of an old adventure game called Colossal Cave Adventure that was set in Mammoth Cave that was made in like the 1970s. So it's just like really, um, you know, seminal kind of early, it was like the first adventure game. Um, and so we, we were, we made this, this kind of surreal remix of, of that early adventure game. And, um, that game is set in, in Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Um, <clears throat> so we had this idea kind of with us as, as Tomas and I started to get into making video games. Um, we had this idea with us of, of this Mammoth Cave in Kentucky as being this kind of site of real cultural and historical importance in, for the field of video games, like for the medium. Um, and then I was... Uh, spending a lot of time in Kentucky because my wife's family is here and my wife grew up here. And so I would come down to visit them and drive through Kentucky and Tennessee, um, you know, visiting different uh, members of her family and stuff. So I was spending a good amount of time just like on the highways in Kentucky, um, mostly in the central Kentucky area. So I'm actually, and I live here now in in Elizabethtown and, and kind of central Kentucky or Western Kentucky. So I'm actually a little bit a ways West of, of what most people would consider Appalachia. Um, but you know, yeah, kind of in the, in the, I'm a near neighbor. Um, but so we would drive through that region a lot. And, and, um, on one of those trips, I was thinking about this, um, kind of had this loose kind of game idea and, and, um, this work that Tomas and I and John had done, about Mammoth Cave and response to Mammoth Cave and, and Colossal Cave Adventure kind of came up too. And I was just thinking on the highways, I was thinking about, you know, it would be interesting to set a game in kind of both of these spaces where you're spending some time on the highways in Kentucky and then sometime in the cave itself. And I had this kind of like 
really thumbnail, really rough sketch of like a, <clears throat> a stuck characters and a plot that might kind of go along with that. Um, and so then Tomas and, and I, and, and uh, a little bit, just a little bit later, Ben, um, all kind of developed the rest of the story from there. But so that, so yeah, like I said, we have a kind of um, cultural connection to the region uh, through that earlier work that we did and, and that this work was developed in response to. And then the, um, for me, the personal connection has just been kind of traveling through here a lot. And now I've, I've lived here for about three years, I think. Um, and then t- I don't know, Tomas has had spent a lot of time driving through here also. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my ex-wife's half of her family's from where, where you are, uh, oh. Jamie, mm-hmm. the Blue Ridge area. So I spent a lot of time there too. Um, yeah. mm, very different, um, very different areas of Appalachia to, to draw inspiration from <laughs> very, both very beautiful, but very different. And mm-hmm. did you yeah. all, and including Ben, I know Ben, you live out in California, but did you all wind up spending a lot of time in the region as sort of research? Yeah, we, we, we like to meet up and, you know, so we lived in Chicago, all three of us, when we started working on this project and we would, we would meet up and work there. And then since I've moved down here, you know, we, and Ben moved out to California and Tomas is still in Chicago. So we, we try to meet up to work in person still somewhat regularly. So we've met up down here several times and um, we've done some work kind of on site work, like uh, with a few different performers that live in Kentucky. So um so we've, yeah, we've done, made some of the work here and then, yeah, driven around and, and looked, I guess it's at scenery and stuff. I remember sending, sending photos back from trips down here to Tomas of like <laughs> early morning <laughs> telephone lines and stuff like that at some point. Oh, um, very um, ambiance style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know Tomas, you did a lot, a lot, a lot of digging through historical photographs and documents and stuff from like from the mines in, in Eastern Kentucky. Right? right. Yeah. There was a library of Congress project, I believe that uh, sent out photographers to document small old towns uh, from the earlier half of the 20th century. So we used a lot of Im- imagery of that. Or we used a lot of uh, images from photographs from that as a sort of a reference point. Uh, even to like a very sort of like even just the minutia, right? Like the specific locomotive uh, uh, equipment, you know, and stuff like that, like the actual technology they use then. I guess for you through, through all of this research, what is, when someone asks you like, what is the region? Is there anything that, that comes to mind if you had to describe it? Um, For me, I think, uh, I think a lot of the, um, the history of the region being sort of it, it's to me it's tied up in, in a lot of of these like uh, economic crises that the country has has gone through you know so like that's the way that the people the way that um, workers were sort of exploited and the way that the environment was exploited it's like a really dramatic version of stuff that was happening all over the country during these different time periods like during like uh, just prior to the Great Depression when the you know wealth inequality was in a really extreme, um, was at one of its, you know, most extremely sort of unjust distributions. The people in this region, people in Appalachia were, uh, unionizing and, uh, were being sort of violently suppressed by a combination of like corporate interests and state interests. 
uh, in a way that happens all over the country, but there's this like really, you know, dramatic history of it here in Kentucky. And then again in the 1970s, um, some of that like strike breaking stuff was, was happening as, as, you know, as, as the government and corporate interests sort of were starting to really dismantle, um, you know, unions around the country. And then again, right now, you know, we have the people, uh, people again being sort of misled and exploited um, as, as the recent administration are kind of rolling back regulations and um, sort of, you know what I mean? Like rolling, rolling mm-hmm. back environmental yeah. protection regulations and stuff um, and undermining projects that were meant to, you know, uh, undermining promises that were made to workers out here and stuff like that again. So it's all these like, you know, at, at these really important moments in the history of like the struggle between labor and, and corporate and state interests, this region is like always has a really, really visible and compelling sort of set of stories around, around those moments. So I, to me, it really, it really makes sense as a way to, to kind of read the history of, of those conflicts in the country. That's why, you know, our game is like about uh, our game was, was, kind of an initially designed in, in the moment of the, like 2000, like the aftermath of the 2008, nine financial crisis. And so a lot of the subject matter in the game is like a response to that specifically, but it's also about the historical, you know, the, the fact that that moment was like, not really um, was that that moment was in, in line with the, this whole sort of historical trend of, of um, yeah. wealth inequality in the country. So you know, our, so yeah, I think can, can Appalachia and Kentucky makes a really interesting, um, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of interesting setting for, for working through those ideas. Um, and I, I know Ben, you're coming, you often seems like I could be wrong or coming at it from a musical angle. So I don't know if in terms of thinking about Appalachian music, if what comes to mind when you're thinking and creating in that, in that environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so in this project, most of the music that maybe falls under that category was made at the very beginning of working on it. And Jake and Tomas had really specific ideas about like, you know, which songs, which kind of like traditional songs that they wanted to use in the game. And before before working on that stuff, I, I hadn't really... I wasn't really familiar with any of the songs. I think that musical language is familiar to me and to most people probably like to some extent growing up in the United States. Um, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, like outside, just outside of Chicago. So there's a certain amount of proximity to like, you know, Appalachia, I guess maybe as opposed to where I'm living now in Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, it feels, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's still like a very for, kind of like a foreign musical world to me in a lot of ways, but at the same time felt fairly like intuitive and immediate to kind of like put on that costume and try out that, that like musical language and that tradition. And I mean, I grew up playing guitar and, and, uh, you know, singing and, and had written songs and stuff. So so there's a certain amount of, I don't know, familiarity that that crossed over or translated. But yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's also something that's evolved over the course of this long project and, and feels in, in some ways less directly 
kind of like in dialogue with, with those traditions now as, as it did at the beginning, but yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, so I, I grew up working at a, a coffee shop where we had bluegrass night <laughs> every Thursday. Um, so I was surrounded all the time by these very folklore, folk, folky songs, as you would say, jam, jam bands, all that stuff. And one thing I was really surprised by, and I didn't realize it until I, I replayed it through was that the ambient music in the game matches up so incredibly well with also the folk songs in terms of this very haunting quality. Um, I didn't realize that kind of ambient tech (laughs) technologically oriented music had so much to say to these kind of old school folk traditions that I grew up with. Um, It was a really astounding, beautiful moment, mostly because I love both of those things. (laughs) Speaking of, haunting the the setting itself is really haunt i mean i would say that haunted is probably one of the more common adjectives i see regarding the setting in your game and to some extent i my experience playing it is that the game it, the game space itself feels like a character in and of itself that i'm figuring out that i'm learning the backstory to um so in in terms of spaces telling stories how do you go about constructing a space that that has its own voice. I know that's probably a big question. <laughs> Just give me a whole lot of um, art theory in like 10 minutes. <laughs> what do you think, Tomas? I'd be interested to hear your response to that thinking of, about constructing spaces. You know, you're, you're kind of the architect, one with the architectural approach to what we're saying. Oh yeah. It didn't really strike me necessarily as like a, like an environment art or like architectural mm-hmm. question, maybe broader. We do sort sure. of talk about a setting we design all together. Usually it could just come uh, coming out of like a, a simple description of a space, right? From, from the outlines that we have. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have, we have like a, we have this kind of interplay between a, a, a realist, space and a kind of magical space, you know, where we ask the player to kind of go back and forth between the two kinds of spaces. And some, sometimes there, are, there are spaces that confuse those two ideas and make that, um, right. division kind of blurry, but, but there are some, some kind of like mirror images or, or oppositions that we set up, you know, like the, um, when you're, when you start the game, you're on this very, uh, realistic kind of rational highway map. And then once you cross over into the cave system, you're on this uh, sort of very irrational road that looks a little bit more like early video art on the zero. And it's kind of space doesn't behave rationally anymore. It reminded me of um, those little plastic circle things as a kid that you like put a pencil in and then move around really quickly. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's like all those geometric crazy lines. Oh, like a, yeah, like a spirograph. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are cool. Less consistent than a spirograph, <laughs> but. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. They, it, it's, it's, it's like this kind of hypnotic space. You're, you're like going around and like maybe you're going inwards or something, not just around, you know, you kind of have, yeah, you kind of lose, um, lose the, the option of like kind of rationally mapping the space out, having those two um, asking the player to kind of cross back and forth between those two modes of, of relating to the setting um, 
it's it's it suggests i think it plants a suggestion to the player to to start thinking of the the realistic setting um y- using some of the using some of the understanding that they've gained from the the sort of magical setting so basically like applying more uh creative kind of magical um associative poetic thinking to a, a real world kind of place does that make sense yeah, well, as much sense as poetry ever makes, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> you know, like in, in yeah, I don't know. There's some this the thing people say that like um it's I don't, I don't know like it uh, the people so there's all this like apocalyptic fiction this like su- super you know it's like really popular like imagining a distant future where the world is in total ruin and like mutants roam the streets and stuff like that and <laughs> people say that it's like easier to imagine you know something like that like it's easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism like in our world right it's something that people say a lot and this writer that i like and ben likes a lot too mark fisher he would he said that um you know the the one of the main crises that we're stuck with in capitalism is this just crisis of imagination that our like imagination has been undermined you know it's, it's, it's difficult for us to <laughs> find a way out, you know? So that's the kind of, you know, w- where I see the sort of um, imperative to, to um, help the player find an imaginative way, a kind of magical way of relating to the, the real world. And I shamefully have watched many of your videos of, as of, now but there's a huge draw also on theatrical and more um i don't want to say cinematic because when people say a game is cinematic it is not a phrase i would use to describe (laughs) your game and like the traditional way that people use it um what's the effect of, of making something look more like a theater than i guess a documentary i mean it ties in nicely with the way jake framed uh creating these magical realist environments so it helps us afford sort of creating spaces that are not necessarily naturalistic and those are sort of uh limitations you know maybe not i wouldn't frame them as limitations but like maybe parameters that theater had had to work with for a very long time you know also just coming from like a sort of our own like as a very small team one of the earlier uh I don't know, like one of the earlier implementations of the of the art, I guess, for the game was more naturalistic and followed more game-like conventions about environment art. And it was pretty overwhelming and ultimately didn't feel really appropriate to like have this sort of environment scheme that would require the player to just travel a lot through scenery. And so, and, and also from the very beginning, just the, the structure of the of the narrative Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, was or was sort of like a five act play to begin with. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The way that the dialogue was represented is basically like a script, you know. Um, so we were already thinking about that sort of angle narratively, and it just you know just sort of made sense to kind of give up these other conventions to use in like video game. Mm-hmm. environment design and look to something like theater 
where, you know, the, spa- the way that spaces are represented are very different. They're, I mean, I don't want to like put them like, you know, put them on either end of the spectrum, but there are definitely characteristics of like theater. Like, you know, you have this small space, you have a lot, you know, you have actors there and, um, there's, you know, a proscenium that's like looking at this from a specific angle. And a lot of the props and stuff like that are mostly just vague or suggestive or something like that of, of like a setting. Um, and that small space is like reused throughout the performance and, you know, re- rebuilt, tear, torn down and rebuilt um, in, in lots of different ways, you know. So that seemed like an interesting model to attempt to use. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful metaphor for, sorry, um, thinking about Appalachia as actually a setting in which people build up and tear down <laughs> the scene of their choosing. That's actually really, ugh, there's so far to go with that. I'm, I'm thinking also with theater, there's this understanding that what you're watching is, is maybe fake, which sometimes gets lost, I think, in more, cinematic things perhaps Hmm. where there's an obvious constructedness of, of the scene that I guess falls into the surreal category of feeling both very real, but your brain also knows it's not real more concretely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of artifice involved in like both an actual theater production and the sort of, I mean, when you, I think in previous talks and stuff like that, we broke out our scenes and showed them at what we call wrong angles. And it's definitely a lot of it is, as you would frame it, fake, I guess. But I mean, that doesn't really bother me. It's, it's just like an impressionistic way to, to, to represent a space. Yeah. There's like different kinds of, of like, uh, realisms, you know, right. Like, so like in, in a lot of video games, the, like you know, a lot of a lot of, in a lot of video games, they try for a kind of realism that's about like a about making it look like it was recorded with a camera or something, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then there's other realisms. There are other options for other realisms. Like one might be having the characters behave like human beings, you know? <laughs> and, or or having or having the setting be. Uh, and the actions and the setting be about something that's true in, in the world, you know, so that as a detail, uh, the only mocap that we have in the game involves Ben playing instruments. Mm-hmm. So that's a sort of realism. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that we wanted to focus on specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, was there a reason behind wanting to make sure that that was, that was a realism that was hyper present? I mean, I, 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 the first scene that we did this in was um, the, the rum colony. And so a large portion of that scene, visually and just sort of atmospherically, it, it revolves around Cyrano's uh, performance. So if you, I felt like that's, that's, you know, that would be a good place to... Because you you know it's it's showing the scene where you're watching performer right so we're in a way we're also asking the player to watch this performance in a similar way you know obviously it's like removed as a third person sort of camera yeah. perspective but it seemed like that like the the 
attention to detail should definitely be focused on that, you know? And we found that, you know, a lot, there's not a lot of character animation, um, in the game, but we found that very little gestures like this can really ground the, the environment or whatever, the, the scenery and the characters into like other things like what they're saying in the dialogue or in this case specifically, uh, Ben's performance. So I think, I don't know. I think it just adds a lot just very small flourishes like that. Yeah. It's kind of an uncanny thing to see as well. Like, uh, you know, this, this, this little character in a scene that is otherwise like clearly not, um, you know, the art style isn't, isn't, doesn't have much of anything to do with, with like, um, like photo realism or whatever. Um, but to, to then have this, this like highly stylized, you know, character do something that approaches that kind of realism, like those, that combination of things I think is really, is really compelling. Um, yeah. And I guess, especially with like a musical performance where it involves like an instrument that's really gestural, um, to kind of have that, I think adds something a lot to it. You had, um, I've heard you use this phrase, but magical realism prior before. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit about what, what that was for folks who might not be familiar with the tradition. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a tradition in mostly in literature or originally in literature and, and, uh, mostly coming from, um, well, I would say it, it's originates in former colonies. Um, so it's, it's mostly coming from Latin American colonies and, and also from India Latin American countries that used to be colonies of, of Europe and, and then also in India. Um, uh, and, and now it's as a form, it's been recuperated into everybody uses it as a, as a genre or whatever, but, um, but it, it, it did. I think, uh, so examples of magical realism would be like the writings of like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, like a mm-hmm. hundred years of solitude is, is, um, was one that we read near the beginning of this project. And, uh, and that was kind of what we were thinking of specifically when we said this was going to be a magical realist adventure game was that book. Um, but it's, it's about, uh, you know, it's, a, so it's, it's magic. It's about magical things happening, magical events and, and magical people and folk sort of folkloric, um, uh, entities. Um, but then it's also about realism and, and it kind of, you know, um, like we were, we've been talking a little bit about different kinds of realism, and so magical realism asks you what what kind of realism can you um, can you address in a work that that deals with the magical, you know? So um, in Marquez's work, there's a lot of this. Uh, there are magical event like there's um, this one called um, uh, the Autumn of the Patriarch, and this in, the, in that book, this character is like. Um, there's these kind of, kind of like larger than life characters who, who in the way that they live, they live in sort of like way beyond the, um, you know, living people who live forever and stuff like that, the, you know, the kind of emotion, the way that we relate to somebody like a dictator or somebody emotionally, um, you know, that, that's sort of realized in, in a, in a magical kind of way in these stories. So it's, so it's about kind of capturing in a, a sort of emotional truth of what, of who some of these people were, um, 
or in um, uh, Isabella Yend is a Chilean writer, um, you know, who wrote about um, wrote a book called House of the Spirits that was that sort of starts off as being a book of like a ghost story um, about a family who is haunted by all these ghosts and who can talk with the dead and, and do all this kind of magical stuff. And then kind of gradually turns into the story of, um, you know, Pinochet taking over Chile and, and um, American interference with the socialist government of Chile and stuff. So it's a very political genre, um, but it's, it's not a sort of, it's very political, but it's it's very human in, in its scale because it treats the political as a very kind of emotional, sometimes kind of mystical reality, which is how we think how we re- really relate to it, right? Yeah, I was actually thinking when you were talking that memory to me, also, like memory is memory feels somewhat like magical realism in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. because it is real in the sense that it it happened, but the way that our brains reconstruct our past is very. I mean, I think magical. I have a very magical relationship with my <laughs> with yeah. my nostalgia. Sure, sure, absolutely. In terms of, do you know of other video games that have really purposefully interacted with or conversed with the genre of magical realism? Um, I, sh- I should I should know. I feel like I don't know. Do you guys have any thought? Anything come to mind? <laughs> I feel like I'm drawing a blank right now. Other games that what? are kind of. Uh, related to that tradition yeah. or something. Yeah. Not for me explicitly. Like that's like, we're going to look at this tradition of magical realism. There's, our game also gets labeled as a uh, surreal, like a surrealist mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Which is, is a cousin, I guess, <laughs> of magical. Yeah, for sure. But it's, you know, so there's plenty of, you know, in, in a broader spe- spectrum of surrealist games. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, the, 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 the juxtaposition of a magical element and then a mundane realism side by side. I guess, I guess you also get Southern Not Gothic perfect. too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 And they, they feel like related to me also because yeah. of, yeah. well, especially because of, um, uh, Flannery O'Connor's writing, I feel like it's, it's different. That's like, she's like kind of a classical, like Southern Gothic writer, but uh, also her work is also really kind of in con- concerned with the encounters with the divine, you know? So it's like, it's about people having these sort of awful religious experiences in, in really realistic Southern settings that also deal with the kind of grotesque nature of humanity or whatever. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it feels, you know, in, in the same way that magical realism is kind of about, um, about looking at reality using an expanded kind of palette that includes magical experience and, and magical thinking and emotion and stuff. Some of the Southern Gothic writing feels the same to me, feels similar to me, or some of it's just formally kind of, um, unreal like there like in some of tennessee williams work there's this kind of fourth wall breaking stuff that like in the glass menagerie the main character and narrator is kind of like breaking the fourth wall and in a way that's that's like well, well like um it, it, a way that's like sort of dramatically alienating a little bit and, and reminds you of, of the artifice like you're, you're saying you know that, um that's a point of connection to me between between those two movements yeah, I feel bad using the word. Um, I'm take, I wish I could take back using the word artifice. <laughs> I, I guess I'd have to explain for me personally. I, it's from a it's from a book about myths where it's talking about the nature of myths. Um, 
And I think in Sudanese storytellers usually start out their their myth telling with like it's a lie, but not everything in it is false, mm. which is I think kind of a beautiful commentary when someone says there's an amount of constructedness to this story doesn't necessarily mean that there's not truth in it, mm-hmm. which I think you got to when talking about like emotional truth or emotional, mm-hmm. um, emotional realism is sometimes different than documentary realism, I guess. So speaking of existing in magical spaces, you all have been existing in this very lonely, lonely place in the zero for, for quite a while. And I'm kind of curious just kind of emotionally what it's like to to exist in the lonely world of Kentucky Route Zero for, for so long. <laughs> I don't know if it's like driving you slowly. <laughs> you guys miss the sun? Do I miss the what? The sun. Do you miss the sun? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You've been living in caves. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I like, I like sunshine for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We made a little game, uh, called neighbor. That was like a, a, um, it was a commission and we were deliberately like, what's the, what's the like opposite of Kentucky Road Zero that we can get away from it for a little bit, you know? <laughs> and it was like a pretty therapeutic, very bright, sunny, like out in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. It's like those um those flashbacks that Conway had to sitting in the kitchen. Yeah. Just like <laughs> very yellow and filled with, with humor and affection. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's one other scene with sunshine in the game, technically. And it's during a phone call mm-hmm. to Lithuania. So because of the time difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, was that on the the boat? Right. Ah, I think I stayed on the boat. Oh, oh. I have to play through it again. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All these tiny moments that I know I've missed that you have to play through so many times to get them. Right. I'm curious because I, I know that there's all this talk of artists affecting their art, but I always wonder if it works in reverse, especially for such a strong emotional space like Kentucky Route Zero and the Zero in general, if you feel like it's affected you and the creation of it. Yeah, I'm sure that's... I'm sure it's true. Even just like working, like working with, I don't know, the, the narrative world that that's been built over, over all this time. And like the kind of, I don't know, now we sort of know like the, the kinds of things that, that might exist in that world and, and like how we would go about making them and, you know, just the process of, of um, working on, on the same project for such a long time sort of enforces these, I don't know, not, not that you don't find new ways of working, but that you kind of absorb the the work while you're making it and decisions that, that have been made like in the past influencing, you know, new decisions. And I don't know that it feels like I would imagine that somebody who like sits down and plays through like all of the episodes in a row and like really immerses themselves for a few hours probably feels a bit more like they're living in that world than, than I do making, working on the game maybe. Um, interesting in some ways, although like there is this kind of weird, like familiarity that gets, yeah, that develops over that long of a, of a period of time working on something sort of like having like a, you know, like a, 
I don't know, a set of, of weird, you know, aunts and uncles or something that like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, they're there, they're always yeah. there. Um, you, you might not like even feel like you know them super, super well, but yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I love the idea of familiar. Have you ever dreamed about the zero? Oh, no. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. probably. I, pro- I, I probably, I probably, I dream about, you know, like, uh, my Ableton screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really weird thing. At least for me, I think it's a weird, it's, it's very bizarre to work on something that, yeah, is, is that kind of proposes this other world, um, you know, this, this narrative world, um, over such a long period of time and kind of having it like almost existing in, in, in some ways, like in a parallel universe all the time. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I don't know. Although the, 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 the lived like daily experience of working on it has more to do with just sort of, you know, like making decisions and, and doing the work and, um, you know, getting through the list of things, things that need to be done. Et cetera. The, the idea of like it existing in a parallel space is super interesting, especially because the way people are coming to it. Some have been with you from the very beginning and some are joining like right now, right before, like people are experiencing it in a much different place, I guess, than you are creating it, which is kind of off putting, I guess. Speaking of people experiencing it, um, what is the reception? Not what is the reception? I guess what has been surprising about people's reception to the setting of Appalachia for you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of something that surprised me when people responded to it. I mean, I, I think like we heard like after the um, after the election and stuff, um, we heard the questions that we were getting kind of bring bring that up more and saying like is this a i don't know like is this game in response to trump or something and you know had to <laughs> you, you predicted the yeah future, well Becky. i mean yeah that's part of that's <laughs> part of the answer yes <laughs> no we've been working on this for a lot longer and but um but also like you know yeah also it's again kind of reminding people you know that what's what's happening right now is like shocking but not surprising you know it's like part of you know like we're stuff we're we that this game is about are like longer historical trends you know yeah and then i, I don't know it's been it was it was really i, I mean I, I think you mentioned um all these like there was like a million like think pieces right after the election about like how uh, you know the this region co- it's like was like blamed for Trump's election and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was just like totally just total garbage, you know, should, should mm-hmm. we excommunicate the South from, you know, whatever, <laughs> just all this like nonsense. Um, and, uh, that was, fr- that was pretty frustrating, especially because I, you know, I think like when, when we are looking at the history of the region in our game, there's this history of, of the sort of, right-wing authoritarian corporatist powers exploiting people there's that history but then there's this history of like resistance and unionization and people you know fighting and dying for workers rights and stuff that was you know 
uh, that turned into real progress. Uh, I mean, there's just this like amazing history of like progressive heroism in the, in the region also, you know, so you can't, it's, it's kind of fucked up to identify the, the region just with this like sort of right wing reactionary element, right? It's like a super selective reading. Yeah, it's definitely, I think Dr. Dr. Kat says that I think many other people say it too, but I've heard it from her most mm-hmm. recently is that Appalachia exists both as a real place and also a mythical sure. one uh-huh. and that it often winds up mirroring the mythical one winds up mirroring the kind of the fears and anxieties. And um, I think even like hatreds <laughs> that go on in the rest of the country, it, it's kind of this very, I, I mean, back to the theater stage it's it winds up being this theater for all of these these different very gruesome human uh i guess monsters mm. the different things that haunt mm-hmm. us i guess in the united states i, th- I think for me watching some of the responses that the, the th- and the thing that resonates with me the most is people who have left the region who are homesick, who play your game. And there's something so emotionally um, pulling as someone who is homesick and also played your game <laughs> who resonates with that. There's something about the way you present it as both a, a mythical place and a real place that feels like home in a way that other forms of representation have not. And I didn't know if you, if it's, if you've heard from other people from the area who say like, who have this deep emotional connection to the way you've represented the space, or if this is just a secret blog post that I dig up <laughs> <laughs> in the wee hours of the morning. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I can't, I can't, re- yeah, I can't recall any, any conversations like that with, with, I mean, I, you know, I've, um, yeah. Yeah, we've we've gotten some like some funny, you know, feedback about details that we've messed up. I think that's what people kind of, you know, from locals like we've gotten some All right. Um, but uh hop on 65. We messed up the way that the way that people talk about the highway in the first act. We fixed that right away. That was real. <laughs> wait, 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 what did you mess up? Now I have to know. It was like um when somebody said take the 65 and a couple of people contacted us and we're like, nobody says that. You just say, <laughs> you just say, take 65. There's no article in that phrase. And so, we, okay. So we, amazing. That is such amazingly specific. Um, yeah. It's funny, right? Yeah, yeah. That made it feel not, yeah. not real to them was the language. Yeah. It's very fascinating. There's actually uh, people were pretty surprised at, at the fact that we had like just a roadmap of, a specific area, um, very very clearly, just a specific area in Kentucky. I remember people were surprised by that a little bit, and some people even from the area w- would like try and find or drive by certain locations in the game. You know? Oh wow! Responded that way. Um, s- someone set the f- phone number of the uh, Mammoth Mammoth Park hiking trail or something like that to the, to the, you're in there along the echo phone number. Oh, right. Yeah. Whoa. That's so cool. 
<laughs> what a weird layering of 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 memories. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not like a direct conversation, but it seems like people who have played the game, there might be from the area or near the area or have lived in the area, kind of have bananas. Yeah. So they were like looking for Equus oils, right? Or like the big yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So is the map in the game actually pretty much just a? I mean, probably a more abstract copy, but a direct copy of the actual geographic map of the region. Direct copy, yeah, traced. Whoa. Yeah. Whatever projection Google Maps uses, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) um, However real Google is, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's incredible. There's so many layers. Um, That's so cool. Did people take pictures of where... This thing, and now I now I want to go to the region and like take pictures of where like Echo's oils would be. Or yeah, I've I drive by there, uh, you know, pretty regularly, and I'm always like, I, yeah, I need to like go and put some pins in the map and have my GPS tell me because I I'm curious. Like, right, I know where the Marquez farmhouse is is Dinosaur World. <laughs> I know that. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then um the bait shop is a real bait shop that I found on Google Maps that and I so. When, it, when I was writing that little vignette, I like went was, went looking for a, a bait shop in that area. So that's that's precise the place. Is it Dinosaur World on the southern side of the 31? Oh, is it? Oh, okay. It's on the wrong side. Oh, wait. I think it's the... Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. It's, it's around there anyway, yeah. But the geography is surprisingly similar. Like, it's on the north side of the mm-hmm. road. And uh, there's like a sloping hill going up where a lot of properties. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. So even the map with, um, I'm thinking of Julian when you're flying vast distances, is that whole thing also like a direct, like the whole, the whole shebang? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's looking more at uh, lakes and rivers in that area. And then surround, even, even up to almost Tennessee. Yeah. Those are all lakes and rivers there. Yeah. My mind is super blown right now. That's so, that's so cool. Um, just because when I, I remember playing it and thinking like, oh, what a great, I, I mean, it does seem like a very fantasy, like magical place. So the fact that it is in fact a literal map of the region. People also, I mean, this is sort of surprising to me, but uh, people, we've gotten a few emails where they're, where they say the scenery is, it just reminds them of home. And I mean that makes sense to me, uh, although uh, it's it's surprising because it's it, in a way since the imagery is the, the scenery, you know, like is it like you have a mountain in Equus Oils or whatever, a little hill or a couple of hills, and they're just triangles, right? So it's almost like an emotional response. Like it's not like the, the likeness is pretty minimal, mm-hmm. right? But there's mm-hmm. I guess there's yeah. all these other things that play with the the ambience sonically. And stuff like that that sort of help people extrapolate, I guess, their you know their impression of the scenery in the game. It may help to correlate with their memories of the area. So, yeah, I I guess that makes memories sense. wind up being no, it does. I mean, I'm thinking of the way that memories wind up. It's not like a snapshot. Uh, well, it might be if if there's trauma, I guess, but in, in generally speaking, it's more of a an emotional imprint of a place. Yeah. And so the fact that you were able to like, I'm thinking of like those leaves that like leave ghosts on, um, like the cement after mm. it rains. Right. 
It's kind of like that to me, I guess. This memory of this place. Ugh. No, I mean, I didn't grow up in, in Kentucky, but we had, we have some similar flora, I think. So especially the forest, the forest scenes, I think I could agree that it, it felt like, I mean, minus the giant <laughs> bird, which <laughs> I don't have as clear a recollection of a giant bird in my childhood. But One scene for the, me that sort of feels like what my experiences of both area that Jake lives in and then the area, um, and then also Virginia and North Carolina is like the tavern scene outside. That was one that is very little in the way of like visual cues of, about it being specifically in an area, but just like this, the sort of county road or whatever, the, you know, and power lines and stuff like that, just cutting through all these trees in this sort of like roadside bar. I feel like that, that seems like it could be that that's one of those things that might, as far as like being explicitly a place, you know, on the map, you know, there aren't very, very many actually in the game. Um, can you think of others? Like there's, there's some vignettes where like there are a couple people calling a plane mm-hmm. and that's just like a guardrail. You know what I mean? So I'm like going through right now, telling all the scenes and being like, how environment-wise, like where where are the places that would make make this feel like home? You know, for Appalachians. There's a mm. meteor crater scene where you're you know looking down a bluff. So, I mean, can, Jake or Ben, can you think of any others? A lot of it takes place in the caves, so. Like when the horses show up, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, there's some horse fences. Those are very regional. Yeah. That's white. True. Yeah, there's that really early mock-up that you did with the farm from a, like a, almost like a helicopter view or something. I remember had the horse. So I'm just describing a scene that's not available <laughs> publicly anywhere. But, um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. But yeah, the, the, those are fences that are very specific. They're always, they always have a certain number of horizontal like four horizontal bars are white and you see a lot of them in that area and also bourbon County. yeah the dilapidated barn with the horses marquis um farm there's another one what was it barn quilts is another sort of regional oh yeah the the graveyard that was um it was also at the farm but i, I remember growing up there was a ton of very small graveyards around that where it was unclear who they were related to or upkept by. They were often on personal properties, mm. but that oddly, like I had one like right down the street from me and they were kind of peppered throughout um, my, my holler. But that one was like yes. really striking to me as these people that we, we've struck up these monuments to remember that we've all forgotten. There's something very tragic mm. about that, but you're talking yeah. about uh, the graveyard in the Marquez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right in Marquez. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, like, uh, these old family grave, uh, you know, grave sites on the properties. Peculiar to that region, maybe? I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I, I know I saw a lot of that stuff around in Appalachia, around Virginia, in the mountains. Yeah, there's not a lot of, I mean, where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of, like, large open fields in which to put very large mass graveyards. So I think people just had small private lots on their, on their properties. 
Creepy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, Appalachia is a haunted space. It's not uh, oh, totally out of this, out of the ballpark in terms of my experience growing up. It's just I, the you're talking about the eeriness of the triangles, and I remember thinking that about the clouds um, growing up in these kind of like mist covered, very bluish grayish like evenings hmm. um in that area definitely blue ridge is is like prone to mist almost like all yeah. the time yeah growing up i would drive home from from work I, I was working in Asheville, but i lived much further out um and every time it was misty i swore it felt like oh, what's that that really creepy zombie video game silent hill <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> like that moment right before yeah. you get to Silent Hill, I was always somewhat like, "Oh my god, this is the beginning." Of um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, uh, now I'm gonna go back and play this game again <laughs> to get all the to get the Lithuanian scene specifically. I have to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> replay the caves. Um, so thank you so much for going on. Before you we go, not before you go. Um, is there anything? that you'd like to say to people regarding, I guess the, the region and its relationship to, to your game or just media in general. I guess it'll just be interesting to see like what kind of narratives emerge, like over the next few years that, that involves, I don't know the, that region or the South or just the sort of like North South left, right divide, et cetera. Like, you know, what maybe, I don't know. How how the meanings of the uh, of a region like like Appalachia and the South, et cetera, might yeah I don't know might change, revolve, or yeah I, I'm not really sure, but there's a lot there, um, and obviously it's a site of a lot of um, conflict and controversy now, and yeah. Me too. I'm super excited. I'm, my hope is that the incredible popularity of your game inspires other people to make games in the region that are more poetic and and empathetic I think to the humans that live there uh, mm. so cool well awesome well thank you so much for, for coming on and for listeners if you haven't already please buy their game they have one act left I believe so it's actually a great time to to jump on it and play it and still get some of that that really glorious waiting time that I actually think is kind of pivotal to, to the experience, at least a little bit. <laughs> so right now is good. Buy it for your friends for, for the winter season. Um, cool. And thank you all so much for, for spending time on the show and talking about this region. It, it, for me, it's very personally, I'm very personally invested in the conversation. So it means a lot to me that you came on to talk about it. So. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah thank you. And for all you listeners, I will see you next time for another episode of Gaming Broadcast. Bye!